1: That's right! We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the new statesman that takes pop culture seriously.
1: I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're going to be talking about Zadie Smith's new novel *Swing Time* and the Hayley Steinfeld film The Edge of Seventeen.
0: Caroline has also watched the 2015 film Maggie's Plan for the first time so she'll be telling us all about that later in the show. hello welcome back to another episode of seriously
1: we've been perusing the email inbox we've had a couple of great emails following on from our review of bringing up baby last week oh good which you were watching for the first time I was. so the seriously listeners have really stepped up with some more recommendations for classic movies that we should try including richard who sent this really lovely email saying, i really appreciate your reviews together with your london references i had a ball living there in the 70s and 80s at next to helen mirren no less when it was <laughs> relatively easy to find affordable flats so oh my Wicked. god former neighbor of helen mirren listens to the podcast he says i've just found my copy of bringing up baby to watch again on the subject of Cary grant one of my all-time favorites is hitchcock's to catch a thief which i have seen and can highly recommend okay, it's fantastic. Great
0: erica harris also got in touch to recommend some more classic movies she says because you both seem to enjoy classic films i'd like to recommend two of the best classic comedies the russians are coming the russians are coming which hail caesar pays homage to and the great race the great race has been one of my favorite films since i was a kid and i think you would both enjoy its silliness same for the russians are coming the russians are coming i've also recently watched swing time which is one of your favorites
1: and it related to something that we'll be talking about later in the show absolutely is i think i might make 2017 my mission to re-watch all of the fred and ginger movies what a great task anyway back to your emails we've had one from Nadia who gets in touch to talk about Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them which is two episodes ago now I think yeah isn't it? and the emails are still rolling in People yeah have a lot of thoughts so Nadia gets in touch to make a point about Newt Scamander's job in the film because he is a magizoologist I suppose mm-hmm. you know he's a a biologist of magical Greek. and she says it's quite interesting to consider from a scientific racism racial biology perspective Newt's role as a magizoologist tying in with ideas of categorization and typology and the role by Biologists played in establishing a hierarchy of races in modern history and how that was drawn upon and used by nazis obviously newt's on the good side and doesn't use his science to justify the genocide of muggles but his presence raises an interesting question of just that idea of categorization why it exists and what role magical scientists played in establishing it
0: i do think this is really interesting because i think one of the problems perhaps with some of jk rowling's comparisons between the way muggles versus wizards are treated or the way house elves are treated Mm -hmm. it can seem often quite problematic to try and relate that to how different races of actual human people are treated for obvious reasons and the same with sort of like her comparison of werewolves to people with aids or you know she has these sort of quite strange parallels in in some of that
1: jk rowling's plots always work best when you stay within the world she's created Mm -hmm. rather than trying to find parallels anywhere else
0: but obviously with these latest series of films we're rubbing up against the muggle world all the time more than we ever have so interesting and i'm a little also a little nervous to see how that goes in the later films
1: yeah so speaking of harry potter we also have a very exciting announcement to make which is that we are going to be doing another live event yeah and soon really soon 17th of January 2017 so put it in your diary so next year uh, although i mean barely a month away now although there's christmas and stuff in between and it's going to be a Harry Potter quiz
0: yay i mean i think Harry Potter is one of the uniting cultural interests of seriously listeners and lots of people when we did the Gilmore girls quiz asked us if we were going to be doing a Harry Potter event or if we were going to do another Harry Potter special so yeah we are definitely going to be doing a Harry Potter quiz We've decided to give Seriously listeners a little bit of a heads up on tickets because last time the tickets sold out before we even announced it on the podcast, which was a little awkward.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, we're sorry about that. We really didn't anticipate that it would sell out as fast as it did.
0: So what we're saying for now is that tickets will go on sale Wednesday, the 7th of December at noon. So that's tomorrow to most of you who are listening. If you're listening late, Sorry, you kind of missed a little bit of the window, but hopefully there will still be tickets available. You can go to seriouslypod.com and click on events to buy tickets or go on our social feeds and there'll be links there.
1: We hope to welcome as many of you as possible to the event. Um, Yeah, it'll be roughly similar to the Gilmore Girls singing style teams of six or less. The hardest questions you've ever seen about Harry Potter.
0: It's meant to be hard. Don't be
1: demoralized. (laughs) Um, Amazing prizes if you triumph. So we hope to see as many of you there as possible. Moving on. The first thing we're going to discuss this week is Swing Time, which is the fifth novel by Zadie Smith, descri- oh. described in the publisher's blurb as being about two brown girls who dream of being dancers. It's an ambitious sweeping story that moves from Northwest London where the girls grow up to New York and then West Africa.
0: Yeah, it's different to some of Zadie Smith's other work. I think it's my favourite. And I think it's got a slightly more tightly plotted story than some of her previous novels, which are so sprawling. And this is pretty sprawling, as you say, in the description. It does encompass huge swathes of time and geography. But I I like that we're following these two characters from beginning to end so closely. Because it starts with their friendship beginning like what four, 5 or 6 five or, or something six, yeah, really young, very young and follows them through most of their adult lives as well so
1: yeah and there's also that device of having the kind of prologue which tells you the end of the story almost mm-hmm. right or very nearly the end of the story so i'd sort of because it's quite long as yeah, a novel yeah it is long i'd sort of forgotten almost about this little prologue so we meet the protagonist in the prologue in which she's kind of come to the end of the story this great big publicity disaster it's Mm. all very vague it's alluded to so we know something's
0: happened and we also know that something soured her relationship with tracy so we sort of have these two i think at one point she refers to one of them as a grenade Mm. these two sort of explosive moments that lead to estrangement both between the protagonist and amy who is the sort of celebrity she is an assistant for for many years and tracy her childhood friend.
1: Yeah, so I'd f- sort of forgotten about the prologue mm. until about a hundred pages before the end of the book, and I was suddenly mm. like, "How do we get back there? I'm nearly mm. finished, but where does this go?" Yeah, but same. that's why grenade is the appropriate description because it just blows up suddenly. Mm-hmm. You don't really feel it coming. So,
0: spoiler warning from here on out. I think if you haven't read Swing Time, the f- things. To bear in mind, that you should definitely read it. I think we both really enjoyed it. Mm, did you really yeah.
1: enjoy it? I did. Um, I have a few caveats that I'll come on to, but yes, I really enjoyed reading it.
0: But I think, especially for seriously listeners, there's a lot in there that is sort of like cultural. Like I like, lo- there's a lot of references to like classic musicals, like the stuff we've been talking about, Fred and Ginger. People will will like that side. Yeah, of
1: it. and if you enjoyed our discussion of the TV adaptation of N.W. Mm-hmm. a couple of weeks there's ago, there's a lot more of that. There's in a there. lot more of that because the place where So we keep calling her the protagonist because she doesn't ever actually get a name. The place where the two central characters grow up is an estate in northwest London in Mm -hmm. Kilburn. You know, it's it's the same landscape of NW. Yeah.
0: And there's a lot of those themes keep coming up again of social mobility and how to escape or whether you need to escape a certain background.
1: Exactly. Because the protagonist's mum is a very educationally aspirational Um, ambitious woman who ends up becoming an MP you know she's such a
0: great character such an amazing
1: character you know she's I just absolutely love the descriptions of how when the protagonist is a child she's you know always doing some open university degree or another it's
0: it's amazing and I I love that there's a description of her at some point where they she says basically that her mum's like uh renouncement of like capitalism Mm. and her extreme natural beauty meant that she was able to like aesthetically reject things like makeup in a way that other women wouldn't be able yeah. to it was something like you know you don't need like boots when you look like Nefertiti or something so go read Swing Time from here on out we're going to be spoilering you
1: yeah so the book starts On this estate with these two mixed race girls both growing up in very different households but in the same place. They go to the same dance class, they're obsessed with the same movies. They're both obsessed with this dancer called Jenny Lagon, who is a really rare like face of colour in the classic movie world. They obsessively track her from film to film Mm -hmm. and like spot her in the background and in the chorus and Mm So that's a really subtle and interesting comment on representation and how important it is to be able to see like people like you doing mm-hmm. things.
0: And there's also all these interesting moments in those same movies where there'll be like blackface. Mm-hmm. And it's just so woven into the fabric of some of th- that racism in some of those 30s movies. So it's interesting watching them sort of grapple with that.
1: Yeah, as children and then as when they're older and stuff as well. Yeah, they grow up and they grow apart because although they're both obsessed with dance, Tracy is more talented Mm-hmm. and is more dependent on the outcome it feels like you know being a dancer is the only thing she's ever going to be mm-hmm. whereas the protagonist because of her mother's sort of educational ambitions and stuff it's made clear to her that dancing is a hobby and that actually she's going to go to university or something and that's what they do you know they go their separate ways they have various fallings out in their teenage years none of which feel irrevocable like mm-hmm. you, I, the whole time i was like oh well you know next summer they'll just like back as they always are mm. but eventually it's just there's too many you know
0: yeah and there there is one moment between them that yeah. does sort of finally cut the cord where tracy basically sees the father of the protagonist we're never actually 100 percent sure whether this really happened or whether it's a lie but like having sex with a sex doll mm. in his flat and it ruins the protagonist's sort of idea of her dad as this like innocent lonely guy and she really can't bear it but when we hear about this moment we hear uh the protagonist talking to amy this celebrity big madonna style pop star um do you think
1: it was meant to be madonna i thought it was kylie well she's australian
0: i guess yeah. but i've seen people
1: be like oh it's like adele okay no i don't think it's adele no me neither because amy does amazing dancing and stuff
0: also she's like a legacy pop star yeah right? she is so yeah. she's
1: I think Madonna's a good analog for it, actually. Yeah. yeah.
0: We, when we hear about that moment between Tracy and and the protagonist, it's she's explaining what happened to Amy, yeah. and Amy's like, "This is ridiculous. Why did you get upset with your dad over this? And why did it why did it ruin mm. your your friendships? This just seems so so normal to me. It's sort of that weird, not with a bang but a whimper style grenade, where it's like not really this huge explosive thing, but it has really big consequences. Mm. And there are a few moments like that in this book, I feel like, even like just watching a bit of, of a musical.
1: Yeah, and the style that the novel is written in really helps you understand this, because it is written like a memoir. It's written like the protagonist looking back on the last 30 years of her life, and telling the story, leading you through it. So you both feel very immediately in each incident as she's describing it, but also you're aware of that layer of perspective.
0: Yeah, because we basically have the like prologue and the epilogue both being set. I guess in like 2016 yeah. and then you have two plot lines that sort of run at a similar pace but one starts when she's like five and one starts when she's like in her early 20s and, yeah. and working at this media agency and then they just sort of unravel in parallel to one yeah. another so you get one chapter from one and then one chapter from the other you sort of get this sense I guess of like the inevitability of some things mm. leading to another because you already know what's going to happen in one timeline and you see its seeds beginning in the earlier one and even sometimes vice versa. There's a moment in the end NW adaption that we were talking about recently where she says something about like images like a life being built out of like little images yeah. and that's basically the sense I got with this book whether they're like snapshots from her own life like her talking to Tracy about something or seeing you know her old piano teacher sing something at the piano or whether it's from like a musical or whether it's seeing Tracy on stage or it's like this kind of weird mixing of all these different worlds yeah. and making certain events in her life sort of feel a bit inevitable later on.
1: It's only now that I'm trying to talk about it that I'm even realising the effect that it had on me. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very immersive and it's very, very clever. The part that I said I had slight caveats yeah, about this book now it's and time for those. they are mostly just to do with the Africa sections mm-hmm. of it because... I felt like that was almost a separate novel, mm. That so, the, the main locations of this book are London, New York, and it's never actually said where it is, but I think it's Gambia. Mm. I know Zadie Smith has talked a lot and very, very interestingly and in a focused way about not wanting to participate in an idea of kind of pan Africanism. Yeah. But I do think she does a bit. Just stuff like never naming the country frustrated think, me.
0: Presumably it's yeah. deliberate, but I wonder why she Yeah, chose I wonder to why
1: it. she did that because she talks about it being near Senegal and various other places. And I thought, if you want to completely put at rest the idea, that you're not talking about africa in like a wishy-washy slightly sort of vague sense then name the places like say where it is and make it very clear that this is a specific experience of people living in this place at this time Mm. i wonder Um, if it's
0: meant to also be a reflection on the protagonist in that mm. we get this there's a bit on the plane where she's talking to someone and she's like oh my god what's it like where we're going and the guy on the plane is like i've never been there i don't know and she's like oh yeah but you know what i mean And he's like, what do you you mean? (laughs) They're all different countries. You would not ask me, like, what's Germany like if you knew that I'd lived in France for a year? Yeah. So I wonder if it's meant to be like a revealing of her sort of... Yeah, possibly. ...slight wishy-washy vibes towards the country. Uh, Because I feel like the the descriptions seem to get a bit more specific as it goes on.
1: Yeah, I think as she gets... As she goes, spends more time in the place and gets more familiar with it. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, so and some... And because of... Maybe because of the vagueness. And again, maybe we're just supposed to... Take this on board as the protagonist's point of view. But I would absolutely read a novel by Zadie Smith about West Africa. I really want her thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want her thoughts filtered through a slightly ignorant character.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Fair enough. I found that lots in the discussions of Swing Time, there's been lots of discussions of like fame. But for Mm. me, this didn't really feel like a novel about fame at all. No. Just incidentally, there is a famous character in it. Um, yeah, Amy, you oh. much more about normal people and normal lives. I loved it. We really want these book sections to be, you know, quite collaborative, so do email us with your thoughts. So the next thing we're going to talk about is The Edge of Seventeen, a teen comedy drama. Yay. Written and directed by Kelly Freeman cray It stars Haley Steinfeld as the 17-year-old Nadine and follows her attempts to handle problems with boys, her best friends, her mother and her brother. Woody Harrelson plays her wry, desultory history teacher who finds himself drawn into Nadine's troubles. Or Nadine, as <laughs> they, they, say they say in America. They say Nadine,
1: don't they? I That jarred with me. But...
0: I, I would say Nadine as a Brit, but... Yeah. I really liked this little movie.
1: So did I. And I found myself like, properly weeping in the cinema yeah. at the kind of climactic moment of it.
0: I find it hard not to cry when someone is like openly crying mm. on camera like that, all big and in front of your face. Like I always cry at, that, at those sorts of moments. It's kind of plotless in a way. It basically follows Nadine's struggles with A, the death of her father like four years previously, which I don't know about you, but I like just from the opening, you're like, fuck, something bad is happening to her dad. Because like, A, no one survives a cough in the cinema (laughs) ever. And B, he was just so nice. And you're like, oh, God, no, this is he's too supportive a character to possibly survive the first
1: 10 minutes of this film. And then as soon as I saw him eating fast food, I was like, heart attack. Yeah, heart attack. Exactly. He's dying. Yeah. So that is indeed felt
0: very inevitable and horrible What happens. And then the other thing that she finds very difficult to cope with is the fact that uh, her brother, who is a figure of envy in her life uh, because he is popular and attractive and things come easily to him when she is often compared to as like the the Danny DeVito to his (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger in a reference to the movie Twins, which is really funny. Mm -hmm he starts dating her one and only best friend basically and that becomes really difficult for her there are two types of people in the world the people who radiate confidence
1: and naturally excel at life golden boy what's up and the people who hope all those people die in a big explosion look at that stupid shirt my brother's wearing it screams i have a body complex
0: worse than a girl's when i was 13 it was clear which side of the equation i was on
1: oh my god i knew it it's really just the hair you can grow it out Seriously? My brother? Think about how shitty this is for me. I can't help how I
0: feel. What if I liked your dad? What if I gave your dad a handjob? Oh, Lewis, why wow, you look so hot
1: with that belt phone. Ew. Oh no, oh no, Chris, you're home early. I'm not even going to respond to that.
0: I feel like there's a trend in pop culture lately. Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I saw it a bit with the Gilmore Girls stuff and more generally, but a sort of like tough love approach to characters where you're like, God, that was so annoying of her to get annoyed by that. She has no right to like mm. own, and I, which is obviously true. So I I feel like the popular response to this at the moment might be like, why does Nadine act like such a bitch when her brother and her best friend start dating? It's not any really any of her business. She should just support them. It's actually quite nice and allows for her to get closer to her
1: brother in a way that she'd
0: probably quite like.
1: But I really felt for her. So did I. And I also really identified with her quite childish response of being like, no, she's mine. Yeah. And the moment where
0: she's like, you can't have both. Yeah. <laughs> I quite like that. She was like, what, what, how, how come you suddenly get to have my brother and me what, when I'm so unhappy about this? Like you have to pick. And she's like, no, I'm not going to pick. And you're like, well, that means you're picking him. You know, that is sort of a thing. Even though you know that she's being childish and you know that really there's nothing she can do and she should just get behind it. I just really, really felt for her. And I think a lot of that is down to Hayley Steinfeld's really great performance. She's brilliant in this.
1: There are, I think, three things that lift this movie above a kind of standard not great teen movie. Mm. And one is her acting, which is really, really good. It's very
0: hard to make a character who does so many terrible things in such a short space of time and seemingly has no Mm. empathy at all, so likable? So likable,
1: yeah, absolutely. The second thing is the writing and direction. When I saw that this was both written and directed by the same person and that that person was a woman, I was like, yes, this makes total sense. Mm. Because it's very empathetic to the teenage girl experience. And then the third thing is actually the, I don't know whether it would be the cinematography rather than the director or both, but there is some really funny and interesting like cuts and stuff in this film Mm. so like I'm thinking of the particular incident where Nadine and her brother's mum goes away for the weekend and so they have a free house so they like have people over and they get really pissed and Nadine passes out and then the next morning she wakes up and she finds that her best friend is in bed with her brother so you get that horrible scene but then it just cuts really bluntly to nadine and her friend sitting outside on the curb with like in completely similar poses with their heads in their hands And i was like that is a really brave move by a director not to show all the yelling and the recrimination and but just jump straight to the like we've got to go outside and talk about this yeah but there were loads of things like that where just shots began in unusual places or just that like really led you through the story in a way that felt a bit unexpected
0: yeah i didn't notice that at the time but now you've said that it's definitely true I felt like I didn't leave the cinema like okay this is straight up there in my like canon of amazing teen movies because I think there's something quite quiet about this film where it's literally just like yep here's a snapshot of this quite difficult period in this girl's Mm. life and that's that. So there's nothing to really like make it stand out in that way. But I think it worked really well as what it was at the same time. So although that means that it's never going to be like the film that you're like calling everyone up and being like, you have to watch this. It's amazing. It also meant that it was really nice in its own way.
1: Yeah, and I actually really respect the team behind it for not trying to shoehorn in any, like, big topical issue or anything. Mm. The stuff that Nadine is dealing with is all very, very quotidian. Like, it's, it's really low stakes, yes. this movie. Well, you know, so she's dealing with the death of her dad, fancying a boy that's probably a bit bad and that she has a, like, slightly difficult consent experience with, a boy fancying her who she doesn't really fancy back, you know, They're all things that if you asked any teenage girl today, they would all be like, well, maybe not the death of a parent, but that is still a fairly common tragedy that a young person will have dealt with. So you can't say that this film is like about drugs or it's about growing up in Chicago in the 80s or any Mm. kind of hook it's just about what it's like to be a teenage girl and have some quite bad seeming things at the time happen to you
0: yeah that dodgy consent experience you talk about in the car is the only moment for me in the film where you're like oh shit something really bad could happen at this point because you know she starts shouting at this guy to get off her and if he doesn't obviously there's it's going to be really really traumatic and horrible apart from that moment although lots of really sad things do happen to Nadine with her dad dying and stuff like you say she's from a very like safe middle class family mm. nothing bad can really happen to her even there's a, a sort of moment where she like goes and tells her teacher that she's thinking of committing suicide that opens the film and then we come back to it right near the end and he just makes a joke because it seems so obvious to him that that's not yeah. what's going to happen and he, he is supportive he doesn't dismiss her like he makes sure that she's safe all the time and at one point takes her back to his house because he's a little bit worried about her so it's not just like oh no this girl's middle class she can't have depression mm. but there's just this, this sense that nothing truly awful could actually happen. But that doesn't mean that you feel any, any less for the stuff that she's going through.
1: It actually reminded me of Paper Towns that yeah. we talked about ages ago on the podcast starring Cara Delavine in the sense that its main group of protagonists are some like well-off teenage white people mm. who think that what's happening to them is the worst thing ever mm. but actually the film shows you that they just exist in this like safe little bubble
0: yeah and obviously as an audience member especially as an adult audience member it's very easy to be like god this I really feel for this girl's mum like she doesn't mm. but I really do and or like the brother's actually in a really difficult position obviously Nadine doesn't feel those things because you just wouldn't and I think it's quite easy to be like god how awful what a terrible character she doesn't respect that her mum's lost her husband she doesn't respect that her brother although he's handsome doesn't have that easier life in the big scheme of things or does but in his own way has problems but i just think she's 17 the moment where she sends an embarrassing facebook message to this guy that she fancies basically being like please have sex with me i think you're so fit even though i've never spoken to you it's like horrible like it's absolutely horrible it kills yeah. you because you know that you could do it by actually basically she like she does this thing often where she seems to write messages not really planning to send and them and then deletes which is them, very yeah. stupid just do yeah. that in the notes app on your phone don't do that <laughs> and then of course accidentally sends one of them you feel that in your gut almost because it is so low stakes you can really genuinely imagine it happening to you in the next five minutes it just made me like want to die want to crawl into a hole and die I think basically what makes the film so great is also sort of what stops it from being like a huge blockbuster and it's probably why it hasn't had loads of advertising. I don't think, if if it wasn't my job to know, I wouldn't have known that this was out. No, I haven't seen it really many places at all. But if you like a teen movie and this sounds like the kind of thing that would appeal to you, definitely go and check it out because it is really good.
1: Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
0: So last week I recommended that Caroline watch Maggie's Plan a sort of comedy starring Greta Gerwig, Ethan Hawke, Julianne Moore about the titular Maggie's titular plan. (laughs) Caroline what did you make of
1: it? I really enjoyed it. I wasn't quite expecting to because I'm not actually a fan of Ethan Hawke based on almost nothing. I feel like when someone's a movie star I'm allowed to be like I don't like looking at your face therefore I don't want to see any of your films. (laughs) Okay. But, so, you know, I did watch this one because you recommended it. And although he plays an unbearable character. Totally unbearable. He plays a kind of um, socio-philosopher guy who loves Zizek, which is just really, really, really funny because, you know, we all know those guys who love Zizek. Yeah, yeah. And in the film basically is this love triangle between his character and then um, Julianne Moore, who plays his kind of first wife, his first two kids with, and then he cheats on her with Greta Gerwig's character, Maggie.
0: Who's basically one of his students.
1: Yeah, Oh well, no. She she works at the same college as him, but she's she's much younger than him and could easily be one of his students. And they
0: have that weird sort of like student teacher vibe in their relationship, and that she's like really supporting his like huge intellectual endeavors, and like she couldn't possibly understand what he's talking about half the time. Kind of feels a bit patronizing. So I have patronized her there by calling her his student, but there is this sort of patronizing element to their relationship.
1: Yeah, you know, the whole idea is that he's working on this great important novel, and therefore she should do all household tasks and put her own career on hold. So a few years into their relationship, after she's had a child, which she really wanted to do, she was considering doing it on her own before she got with him. She's like, this isn't working. I'm bad for him. He's bad for me. And she meets his former partner, Julia Moore, and she's like... I have a plan
0: <laughs> she's an amazing character the Julianne Moore character and Maggie basically pitches to her the idea of them like forcing this like hapless guy into falling back in love with his ex-wife seemingly just by coincidence they like managed to force them together at like a weekend retreat basically and all these different things yeah and it is quite like Emma like isn't it In it's yes. ridiculousness yeah. and also in the like accuracy of the social commentary on these different kinds of people I think like the way that Ethan Hawke's character is ridiculed in these really specific ways in this film I absolutely really enjoyed
1: yes and also how Greta Gerwig's character is not completely let off the hook you mm, know no, not at all. a lot of her decisions are kind of scrutinized she's quite mean to the guy who was going to give her the sperm so that she could get pregnant on her own like who is just so lovely and like obviously just wants to like try and have an actual relationship with her but he's really awkward and she's just like nope sperm get out now yeah, yeah. you know he's interesting and yeah it just makes for a really delightful little film it's quite short as well it's about an hour and a half i think which um just really adds this idea that you can like drop into this world and then drop out of it again.
0: Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I did. So what about next time?
1: So I am going to recommend you... A show that I have very recently got into and am completely obsessed with, which is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend.
0: Oh, I've heard so much about this. In fact, Zadie Smith even said that she wanted to write like 5,000 words on one of the episodes about it.
1: I can totally see why, because it is a, I suppose a musical comedy would be the way to describe it. Although that's a kind of unusual format to be finding in a new show on Netflix. But anyway, so it's it's a show created by and starring Rachel Bloom, who stars in it as a woman who has this kind of high powered job in New York City, runs into an ex of hers from when she was a teenager on the street and is suddenly like, I don't want this life. I want to move to where he lives in this like really backwater slacker town in California and you know be with him <laughs> so she is the titular crazy yeah, girlfriend he has a girlfriend and a whole life but she just like turns up and the thing that i think is probably why zadie smith loves it, it's why i love it as well is because the subconscious of this main character is expressed to you through musical numbers so is it
0: a half hour format or an hour
1: i can't remember
0: is it like a kimmy schmidt style thing i don't know kind of it getting that kind of like technicolor ott
1: vibe a bit yes but it, it also i think it plays with it more than kimmy schmidt does her day-to-day life is shown as being a bit gray and she's made some bad choices but then the musical numbers are always like woo! in my mind everything is brightly colored okay cool
0: well that sounds really interesting and i'll definitely try and watch as much as possible thanks for listening to this episode of seriously the pop culture podcast from the new statesman
1: if you enjoyed the show why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode you can find us wherever you get your podcasts including in itunes where you could also leave us a rating and a review because it helps other people find the show our
0: next event the seriously harry potter quiz goes on sale wednesday the 7th of december at noon go to seriouslypod.com and click on events to get a ticket hurry though it will sell out fast it's taking place on the 17th of January 2017 at the book club in
1: Shoreditch. Also there on our website, you'll find all our back episodes, including our specials on Gilmore Girls, Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends.
0: We're also available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. where are srslypod on all of them.
1: We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com.
0: And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast.